All right, good evening, everybody. Uh, we start the book of Colossians tonight. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, Colossians 1. Some things coming up. Uh, prayer, the last Saturday of every month, 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. Uh, we're going to do a baptism uh, this Sunday. It's a little short notice. Josh had a little boy that wants to be baptized, and he's going to do that. He said, do you want to open it up to everybody? Yep. So we sent out a... It's on Facebook, and we sent an email, so if you're not on either of those things, you probably didn't hear about it until just now. apologize. Um, but at 1.30 this Sunday, we'll be out at Mazingo doing baptisms if you're interested in doing that. Or if you know of somebody that's interested and they've been waiting around for it, give them a call and let them know um, that we're going to do it. We'll also do one in July, August, and September. But um, So anyway, that's going to be coming up this Sunday. Uh, Wednesday night service, June 13th. That's next Wednesday. We'll be out at Mazingo. That's next Wednesday, right? Uh, out at Mazingo Youth Camp, because that's we kick off our youth camp that, so uh, we're going to have the whole service out there for that. And then, of course, youth camp June 13th through the 16th. Um, and we're set, I think. All right, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians, uh, a book written by Paul, still in prison, um, and writes this to a group that he's never met before. So he didn't plant this church. They think that someone from Ephesus planted this church. So he started that church, but then someone was sent out from there to start this church in Colossae. So um, he writes an encouraging letter to them about Jesus. <coughs> He's heard some things, and you'll, he'll really hammer on these. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, Gnosticism has creeped in to the uh, church here in Colossae, and also Judaism. Judaism's everywhere. That's the mixing and the blending of the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, which you can't do. Um, and the righteousness can either come from Christ or it can come from the law. Of course, it can't come from the law because you can't fulfill the law. But they tried to encourage them that they needed to do that also and have Christ. And um, um, Paul's going to really drive this home. And it, it, if I had a single drum to beat as a pastor, it would be this book. Um, it's, it's the biggest problem that I see in the church is this misunderstanding about the law. They don't understand it. Um, um, and so I'm going to start off with this, and I'm going to probably preach this every single Wednesday night because I've only got four weeks to do it. So every Wednesday I'm going to say the same thing, and I hope it, it just really drives it home. This is my one beat here is the law was a shadow of Christ. We have Christ he absolutely, completely replaces the law. Understand that. We are in Christ. Okay. Before it was, we had to keep the shadow, keep reminding ourselves that there was a Messiah coming, there's a Messiah coming, there's a Messiah coming. And then the Messiah came, and we are in Christ. He is the new covenant. He's, he's everything. And Paul's going to try to bring that across. Um, it's not me. It's not my opinion. It's not Calvary. This is just Scripture. Um, he is the fulfillment of the law. He is the completion of the law. He is the one casting the shadow, which was the law. He's here now. We don't go back to the shadow. We don't try to uh, encourage ourselves that maybe the Messiah is coming by fulfilling the shadow. We are in Christ, okay? And we walk in the Spirit now so that we don't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Before, we walked according to the law so that we don't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Now we are in Christ so that we do not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Okay, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. Now, he's not saying there's two groups of people there. Uh, those two words describe the same people. Um, your saints and your faithful brethren, just so you understand that. There's no different levels of Christianity. There's saints, and then there's those faithful brethren. No, it's, it's the same person. Grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul puts that in every single one of his letters for a reason, because he wanted them to have grace and peace. I want you to know that you have unmerited favor with God, and he says that over and over and over again. Talk about a one drum. You must have grace. You must have grace. I pray you have grace, that you have unmerited favor with God. Do you understand that you have unmerited, unearned favor with God? Also, I want you to have peace. I want you to have the peace that surpasses understanding. I don't want you to live your life in Christ worried, concerned, fretting. I want you to live your life in Christ knowing that you are complete in Christ and have peace. A big collective sigh, you know, in Colossae as they read that. We give thanks. Now this is 
do you talk about one of Paul's sentences here? It's the entire paragraph. We get a lot of colons, a lot of semicolons in here. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Now, I'm going to have to break this up to explain it because I'll never remember. So when I pause at a comma or something, we give thanks to God and our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Now, he's starting off with this, and that sounds like a typical thing he would say, but if you understand Gnosticism, Gnosticism was the belief that Jesus was neither fully God nor was he really human. He was kind of this spirit in-between person. Like when he walked on sand, he wouldn't leave footsteps. And when he ate, he really didn't have to. He did it for us. You know? And so he was this aberration that would just float around kind of thing, like a, like a, a, a hologram, basically. And, and Paul's getting away from that. It, he, he was fully God. He's leading up to Jesus was fully God and fully man. He's going to bring that into this book. So he starts off with, um, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was from the Father. He's not some strange thing, okay? Um, he wants to identify his uh, genealogy, basically. Even though there is no genealogy, he's just always been. But I want you to establish his heritage. He's always been with the Father. Everlasting Father, everlasting Son. They've always existed. And he prays always for them. He's going to say that twice here. He's going to tell us later on in verse 9 what he prays for, but he wants to let them know, I'm always praying for you. And uh, I'm thinking of you, uh, which means we pray for each other. Paul prays for his churches that he started and the ones he's heard of. We want to pray for each other. You need to be praying for each other. Um, we always wonder if people are praying for us. doesn't really matter. We pray for other people. We pray for ourselves a lot of times. We always keep ourselves usually at the top of the list because we've got our own problems. But put yourself at the bottom of the list and pray for other people. Uh, Paul always did that. I, I pray always for you. Since, and it began here, not always, meaning not from the beginning of time, but since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. In other words, it's gone out through all the world that you are an excellent church. Since you believed on Christ by faith and we hear you love all the saints, which is amazing. Okay, um, They're known for that. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you, as it has in also all the world, and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth, as you also learned from Epaphras, our dear uh, fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. So in other words, that's how we heard about you. Epaphras told us about your love for everybody, and you sent, you were a blessing to us while we were in prison um, and we heard all the news about you. So we're let, sending this letter back. Now, we believe he's the one that brought this letter back to them. Um, for those of you who are history buffs, that's probably who actually carried the letter back. That is a, a long greeting. Um, but what I see here and what I see Paul trying to convey to them is that, that once we heard about your faith, instantly hope was laid up for you in heaven. Instantly. In other words... Everything he said there, you're never going to be more saved than you were when you first got saved. You can't make yourself more saved. You don't walk with the Lord for 20 years and you get more saved. You're as saved as you're ever going to be the first day you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's salvation. He brings this up because they've brought in Judaism to them. You're kind of saved. You're a little saved. Like you're kind of pregnant. You know, you're, you're sort of there. No, no, no. You are there, and I want you to know that. I want you to know that you're complete in Christ, that you're completely saved, and you're not going to be any more saved. Now, you can walk in more obedience to your Savior as you grow older in the Lord, but you never improve upon your salvation. It never gets more solid than it does the very first day you cried and received Christ as your Lord and Savior when you were born again. You're as saved as you're ever going to be. And so he puts all that in there. Um, you've heard the word of truth, the whole world. It's in all the world at this time. Some people think that Jesus isn't going to come until we get the gospel to the whole world. Well, Paul says right here, 2,000 years ago, it's already gone out to the whole world. It isn't what it th it's not what we think it means when he says, until the whole world hears. Well, people were constantly dying and being born again, so you'd have to be constantly to live in people's homes, you know, making sure the baby heard the word of God. Otherwise, we got these leftovers throughout the world. No, the gospel's gone out, and it is out, and it is being preached all over the world even tonight. 
in different places and all over, and people get saved, and they walk over here and tell Bob. It doesn't have to be an organized thing. Is there a Baptist church in every single you know, town all over the world? Is there a Calvary Chapel? No, it doesn't make any difference. Uh, people, salvation, are born-again people, Christians, are all over the world, and they're living it, and they're walking it, and they're sharing it. It's always happening. So Paul says at this point in all the world, they've received the gospel. And you guys received it, and we've been praying for you ever since. Here's what he's been praying. Verse 9, For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. He, he doesn't pray, I hope you're emotionally charged every time you hear a message or every time you hear a worship song. I bring that up because that's what a lot of people go to church for. Oh, I just, I love my old church. It was so emotionally charged. I don't feel that. No, Paul's prayer for them was that I hope you have the knowledge of his will. It's in the knowledge and understanding of Jesus Christ that we grow, not in emotionally charged moments in our life. You have those moments, and God blesses us with those times, a conference here, a prayer time here, an afterglow there, whatever. But our growth is the understanding and coming to the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. He wants us to be mature believers. Mature believers. And then also, as he's prayed for that, he wants us to know his will. He says that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. That's the second thing he prays for them. I want you to know what God's will is for you, and then I want you to do what God's will is for you. That's my prayer, is that you'd walk worthy of it. In other words, I'm not only praying for God's wisdom to be imparted to you, that you'd understand his word, but then also you'd figure out how to do it, that you'd actually be walking in this and be an example to those around you and to spread the gospel that way, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing, fully pleasing him, excuse me, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. It's the second time he said that. I want you to grow, I want you to grow, I want you to grow, I want you to be fruitful in other words, the fruit that we grow in our branches of our life, of our walk with Jesus, is for other people. We want, that to, we want people to see that and experience that, to have that fruit. You can read the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22, if you want to know what should be growing on your branches. Galatians 5.22 is what should be growing on your branches. Please do that. I'm praying that that would take place. Strengthened with all might according to the glorious power of his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy. I want you to have patience and long-suffering, but I want you to have it with joy. Not just have patience and long-suffering. I want you to have both of those with joy. And that takes maturity. Long-suffering is, um, I guess my best example, and my, it's always my go-to, is raising kids. There, there's a lot of long-suffering when it comes to raising kids. Not, not that they suffer you. Not, oh, these kids. That's not what I mean. I mean, you may have days like that um, where they're in a mood or whatever, but for the most part, it's just they can't be adults yet, obviously, and I've got to wait for them to grow up. As much as I'd love for them to be able to do this, that, or the other thing, I have to wait for that. I have to have patience, and I have to have long-suffering because they don't do it right all the time, and it takes, makes things go a lot slower, maybe longer if they're helping you or whatever. But I do it with joy because I know what the outcome is going to be. I know what the end result is going to be. I know that eventually, if they're with me now, working alongside me, serving alongside me in, in Jesus, then I know the end result is going to be great. I know there's going to be a blessing at the end of that. And so I want you to do that with joy. And we need to do that with everything that we do. Walking with God, walking with Christ every single day, um, it takes patience and it takes long-suffering. It takes endurance, um, but we need to do it with joy. And so Paul says, that's what I pray for you. I pray for you to know his will and the wisdom, spiritual understanding, not just physical understanding, not just the ways of the world, not just the ways other people act, but I want you to understand the spiritual warfare that's going on around us and the spiritual implications of my actions. I want you to understand that, that you may walk worthy of the Lord fully pleasing him, strengthened with all might that comes from him. Um, he wants us to be strong. And so Paul prays that for him. And then he says this, after that patience and long-suffering with joy, verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He's qualified us. I don't qualify myself. You don't qualify yourself. 
I am qualified by him. I'm qualified to go into heaven. I can boldly walk through the gates of heaven, not sheepishly, not sneaking in the back door. I can boldly walk through because it's his qualifications. It's a backstage pass issued by God. You can't be back here. Authorized. I'm authorized. You know. Oh, VIP. Of course, we all have them, so that makes us a little less very, but still very important in a, in a way. He has done this. Now look how he, look how he writes this. This is, this is Paul trying to get this into the Colossians' minds that what has been told to them about the, from the Judaizers is not true. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. That conveyed means He's taken us there. He's moved us there into it. He's delivered us and he's moved us. Both were in his hands. I take you out of the fire and I place you in heaven. At no point do we have any really part in that except we received it. We accepted it, which he's going to get to here in a minute. We received that deliverance. He came and delivered us and he then conveyed us. And we do this in Christ. We're in him like a vessel. We're in the Lord and wherever that vessel goes, we go with him. And so as he is in heaven, so are we in heaven. The key word there in verse 13, I think, for, both, for all of us is has. The Colossians, this has been done to you. It's done. It's not something that's going to happen to you in the future, which is how we think of it. We're going to go to heaven. Eventually, we're going to get there. As far as Christ is concerned, as far as Paul is concerned, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his light. We're, we're there. He's done that. It's a done and completed deal in whom we have redemption through his blood, um, the forgiveness of sins. That's where it comes from. We have been redeemed, and the, his, blood, uh, his shed blood forgives us of our sins. It's that that's taken place. Um, in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, um, he tells us there that what is the will of God? What is the will of God? It is our sanctification. That's the will of God for us. What is God's will? As Paul prays, I pray that you are filled with all knowledge and his will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, what is his will? His will is to be sanctified. That means to be set apart, to be different from the world. I don't want you to be blended in. I don't want you to be camouflaged as a worldly person. I want you to stand out like a sore thumb as a godly person in a dying and lost world. I want you to be that. That's God's will for you. I want you to stand up like Christ stood up. Christ was always humble, meek. You, you, they had to point him out in a crowd by having Judas kiss him. He was so normal. As far as appearance goes, who is this guy? You know, well, he's the guy I'm going to kiss, okay? And they're watching because they're looking. They're like, there's nothing special about him. He's not six foot. He's not blonde. He's not blue-eyed. He looks like every other curly-haired, short, little overweight Jew that was around at that time. That's, that's the average height of a Jew at the time was 5'2", five, 5'3". Five, and they couldn't recognize him. That tells you how short Zacchaeus was, right? Wow, he must have been really short. Who is he? But boy, when he spoke, when he talked about his father, when he talked about God, he stood out like a sore thumb. Everybody knew where he was because he was the center of the group. There's 5,000 people on top of the hill. I bet Jesus is over there. You know? Oh, he's in the temple preaching in the courtyard. And look at all the people. They're not in here. They're out there. I bet Jesus is out there in the middle. He stood out like a sore thumb because he brought glory and honor to his father wherever he went. He's not expecting us to walk around with giant crosses around our neck and big t-shirts that are bold and in your face and all that. You can do that, but that's not why we stand out. We stand out because we are bold for Christ and bring him glory wherever we go. Makes no difference. They asked me, I was at MRI's swim meet. I got to watch two of her races tonight before I had to come. I got to come, sorry, not had to come. Got to come and teach. But they asked me right when I came in, um, hey, we need help. Can you help? And that's just how it is. You know, it's like, I would, I would. I'd do whatever I can do as long as I'm here, but I have to go. Why do you have to go? I said, well, I'm going to teach a Bible study here. And she goes, oh, I can't think of a thing to say to that. I said, I'd, I'll help you as much as I can, but I got to go. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll do it next time, you know, whatever. Um, and that's not a big deal, but I didn't tell them I have to go for special reasons. I didn't have, I, I'm going to teach God's word. I mean, I didn't say it like that. I'm going to teach God's word. I said, I gotta, I'm going to teach a Bible study. I gotta, that's more important, you know. Um, stand up for Christ. That's what it looks like. And now they know. Oh, why is he teaching the Bible? Oh, he's a pastor. Ooh, 
better not say those words or the jokes or, you know, it gets out and all of a sudden they're, you know, the cat's out of the bag. He's not just that guy that sits there and flip-flops and watches his daughter swim. He's, he's a follower of Jesus Christ and he puts Christ first to the point where on Wednesday nights your home meets, they don't line up with my, with my life, you know, and um, I'll do what I can for my daughter, but I'm never going to forsake the Word of God for a sport. Not going to happen. Um, so, you stand up and you do your best and uh, you, you, you walk with the Lord. That's what his prayer is. Um, I want you to do that. I want you to do that. Now, he moves on to Christ's position because when you talk about the law and fulfilling the law, you automatically diminish Christ. You may not mean to, but that is the, that is the side effect. When you say, here's the law, you diminish the cross instantly. And here's what he says. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He's building on this. He starts out, okay, well, we can live with image. Image, Gnosticism. He's an image. Yeah, we all think he's an image. The firstborn over all creation. Now, that doesn't mean he's the first thing created. Firstborn in the sense of position. Um, When you are born in a Jewish home, you got a lot of rights and a lot of uh, privileges as the firstborn. You were like second dad in the house, basically. You're the firstborn. And that's what he means. You're the, he's the firstborn over all creation. Oh, not the first created, firstborn of all, over all creation. He's in charge of it all. He's like second dad, basically. And that's accurate since the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are completely equal, yet positionally they take servant roles. The Holy Spirit serves Jesus. Jesus serves the Father, although completely equal. Okay, but they take servant roles. And so that's why he says this, firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created. So that puts an end to the whole image thing, or he's less than God and not. Everything that was created was created by Jesus. Okay, so he's filling them in on his roles. He created everything that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him, and for him. It covers it all. So a Gnostic would be like, ah, oh yeah, okay. But, and they can't, because he covers everything. He was created by him, it was created through him, it was created for him. That's God. That's complete. He's going to go on to magnify this deity of Jesus Christ some more in case they didn't get the picture. And he is before all things. And in him all things consist. Can't beat that. Everything that's created is in Christ, okay? It's in him. Um, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, uh, uh, that in all things he may have preeminence. And that's what that firstborn means. He needs to have preeminence over all things. Um, And so he does. He's the firstborn from the dead. What does that mean? Well, the firstborn from the dead, simply, uh, as simply as you can make it, first resurrected from the dead and in heaven. He had to be the first in all things. Um, for some details on that, we can actually go to uh, Matthew 12, 40. Um, as Jonah was in the belly of the whale uh, three days and three nights, so will, uh, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth, he says. Okay, so when he died on the cross, he went down. And, okay, so, uh, Psalm sixteen ten. David writes this psalm and says, You will not leave my soul in Sheol, you will not leave your Holy One, uh, he won't be corrupted down there. And that's a prophecy about Christ going there, but not staying there and not being corrupted, not decaying, not falling apart. Okay. Then finally, Ephesians 4.8, it says, uh, he describes that he led captivity captive. So he went down all those who died believing in a Messiah, but not knowing who the Messiah was, they were led captive. And so when he rose from the dead, they rose from the dead. He was the first into heaven, but they got to go also then. But nobody was in heaven before Christ. And so that's what he's getting at here. Um, And there's a lot of scriptures we can go over. You can read actually Luke 16, which really gives a great picture of this place that he went down to. But we don't have time to go do an entire chapter Bible study as a cross-reference. So read that on your own, but he does describe that, the rich man and Lazarus there. Okay, so he's before all things, and he's and uh, and in him all things consist, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and in all things he may have that in all things he may have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, 
and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, uh, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Now, he's going uh, uh, to expound upon that in chapter 2, verse 9. What does it mean that the fullness dwelt in him? Well, it, chapter or verse 9 says that uh, the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him. So Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all consist okay, in Christ. It's all there. He's complete, full. Um, not partial, not half, which is what the Gnostics were teaching at the time. Um, you can see Paul's doctrine trying to get in because maybe as boring as doctrine can get sometimes, I've heard this, I don't know this, it is, it is the protection for you in your walk with Jesus. To understand this about Christ, to learn about him, which is what Paul prayed, I pray that you'd learn, and now I'm going to teach you that's how you start off. Oh, God, I pray that they get this. And then he begins to teach them. If they understand this, they won't be pulled away by Gnosticism. They won't be pulled away by Judaism. They'll stay true walking with the Lord. That's what he's concerned with. He says as much at the end of this chapter. I hope that you stay because a lot of people don't stay. It's interesting to hear about this. You start hearing the same things over and over again at church. Ever experienced that before? I'm doing my best not to tell the same stories over and over again. You guys could probably finish half of the stories I tell. Oh, yeah, I've heard this before. The Bible's repetitive. It's hard not to teach the same thing over and over again. But he does that in his book so that we remember. Because after a while, it's, oh, manna. Manna. Then Gnosticism comes along, and it's a melon. And then Judaism comes along, and that's a leek. Whatever leek is. Um, you know, and there's an onion, and there's this, and there's that, and they're a little more flavorful, a little, yeah, a little jazzy, you know? Hey, it's a little interesting. I think I'm going to dig into that. I'm going to really dive into this little thing just so I can understand it a little bit more. And all of a sudden, we're over here, and we're doing this stuff, and we get pulled away from God's Word. And as mac and cheese as this may be sometimes for some people, it is what God has given us, and it is complete. It's a complete meal. It's everything you need. Oh, we loathe this worthless bread, the Jews said to their father who provided it for them in the wilderness. But actually, that's all they needed was water from the rock and this manna. And so it gets repetitive because we need to be reminded sometimes that although those things may be flavorful or interesting or tantalizing or beautiful to the eyes, it's not healthy. And it actually causes us to not trust in God more and trust more in Gnosticism or trust in Judaism. And it's dangerous. And Paul knows that. So I pray, and then I teach. And that's why every time we go through one of Paul's letters, well, didn't he just say that to the last group? Mm-hmm. He did. And doesn't that say that like three other places in the Bible? It does. It does. It does. <laughs> because we need to be reminded of these things. And so every once in a while, when you find yourself going, oh, and you check out during Bible study, I've heard this, I know this, I studied this last week. You're hearing it because the Holy Spirit wants you to hear it, and you need to check yourself. Why am I hearing this again? Because something may have come up in your life that's starting to draw you away, and the Holy Spirit says, you need to hear this again before you go too far in this direction, and come back. Come back to where home is. Come back to home. Come back to God's Word. Come back here. So, he tells them that. John 3.16 tells us this. As, uh, to, in reference to the reconciliation. In verse 20, by him to reconcile all things to himself. That's exciting because it sounds like, well, great, universal salvation. That's where people get universal salvation from. That's another doctrine you'll hear. Well, everybody's saved, they just don't know it. When they get to heaven, they'll realize what Christ has done. They'll receive him at their Lord and Savior there. It'll all be great. Everybody's going to be there. When everybody dies, everybody goes to heaven. That's universal salvation. And it's not true. It's a wonderful thought. Wouldn't that be great? But the idea behind it is that God has taken away all free will and has forced everybody to be reconciled to him. What he has done has reconciled all to him. It is completely up to us whether we reconcile ourselves to him. It's two ways. He's done everything he needs to do. Christ has died on the cross. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. All sins were nailed to the cross. He has reconciled the world to himself. It's up to the world to be reconciled. That's why he says in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, as if I was pleading with you, be reconciled to God. 
God has reconciled the world. It's open and free. He's done everything necessary. Find yourself in Christ. Receive him as your Lord and Savior, and you are reconciled to God. But many won't. And so when he says this, don't be confused by it. And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Peace with God. You have peace with God through the blood of the cross. But that's if you want it. You don't have to take it. He never forces that on anybody. It is our responsibility to respond to this grace. And some have taken that response out of the mixture. Well, we don't have to do that. It's just automatic. It's interesting the doctrines we come up with when we don't just believe the word. Give me an example. We have universal salvation. Everybody's saved. They just don't know it. Well, I don't know if I can buy that. So I'm going to come up with this doctrine where everybody's saved and they don't know it. And he just picked a few to be saved and the rest just automatically go to hell. That way we can still reconcile the scriptures that talk about hell. That's real. Those are people that just didn't get picked by God. And then we can talk about those that got saved, whether they wanted to or not. They just received Christ because they were forced to, irresistible grace. And they get to go to heaven. And then we come up with these strange doctrines instead of just believing what it says. It's very simple. I've reconciled the world to me. And then later on, I tell you in 2 Corinthians, if you just believe my word, be reconciled to God. Now it's your responsibility to respond to that reconciliation. It takes two people. Think about a divorce. You get the husband saying, I'll just pick on him. Please, please come back to me. Please come back to me. Please come back to me. I'll do everything I can do to come back to you. He can't force her. She has to decide. She has to choose. I'll be reconciled to you. It's her choice, but he can no way put cuffs on her and make her come back into his house. It doesn't happen that way. If it doesn't happen here, I don't know why we think it happens spiritually speaking. That doesn't make any sense. This makes sense. And so he tells him that. Hey, folks in Colossae, please understand this. It pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross that pleased the Father. Never forget that this is the Father's idea to send the Son. It pleased the Father to bruise the Son. It pleases the Father that Christ is doing what he's doing at the cross. If there's any other way, God, Father, let this cup pass from me. This is the way it's got to be. This is what I want, the Father told his Son, Jesus, in the garden. And he did. And he followed through. And it worked. Be reconciled. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by the wicked works, by your wicked works, or by, the, by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. That's what's going to happen to you if, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, the good news, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister or a servant. That's a big if. That's an important clause that he puts in there. He puts that in there because they're moving away from what they first heard. They're moving away from grace. They're moving away from salvation. Uh, They're moving away from being born again. They're moving away from their first love. And they're moving into Gnosticism and they're moving into Judaism. And he says, don't be moved, be grounded. I want you to stay faithful and grounded and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. You can't improve upon that, Paul says. They've got nothing to add to that. This is literally too good to be true. We have to understand that. And every time we feel that in our hearts, this is too good to be true, kill that noise. That's Satan whispering in our ears. That's too good to be true. It can't be that easy. It can't be just given to you. You can't just be in Christ and get into heaven without doing something to earn it. That's Satan. There's my drum again. (laughs) It's in Christ. We're in Christ. It's so beautiful. And please understand me. Holiness, holiness doesn't get left out of this equation. Holiness comes from understanding this right here. True holiness. A true happily married couple 
in Christ, that's where this comes from. It comes from understanding what Christ has done for us, understanding his love for us, understanding the depths he's come to from up there to down here, understanding what he had to go through while we hated him. He was on the cross. Understanding all of that and knowing his love for us is what causes us to love him back. That's the wooing. That is the, uh, the, the courting. You've got to know who I am. I understand that. You're not just going to receive me as I am. I wish you would, but you're not. So here, let me do everything possible for you to understand how much I love you. What if I died on the cross for your sins? Would that convince you that my love for you is true? Well, yeah. Well, then I'll do that. And he did. And now holiness, that obedience to him, comes from understanding that about him. That's why Paul says, I just want you to know him. If you know Christ, if you know him, know him. Not like I've heard of him, but if you know him and you grow in him, you can't help but love him. You can't help but become more holy, more like him. Married couples start to look alike. We talk about that all the time. You're going to see when we finish one of my stories, right? We do. The longer, you're, the longer you are married, the more people look alike. Some of you really look a lot alike. And the more I'm married to Christ, the more I know him, the more I can finish his sentences for him, the more he can finish my sentences for me, the more I understand what he likes without even asking him. I know he doesn't like that, you know. And he knows what I like. The more I look like him, I begin to look like Christ. We are being conformed into his image through a marriage of love. And he conveyed that love to us at the cross. Acts chapter 20, I've got to read this because it's really long. You can turn there if you want to, but it's in Acts 20. Paul writes this about being moved. Just trying to see how far back I should go. I'm going to go to 22. Okay, 2022. And see now, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy, and the ministry or the service which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now that is a spouse, if that makes it easier for you guys, a spouse. He lives to exalt the one who loves him. That's, that's all he's saying there. It's not like a military thing. Well, I've got to do my duty. I've got to fulfill my orders. No, he says, I, I, none of these things move me. I don't care what I have to go through, what what fire I have to travel through, what kind of injury I'm going to uh, receive, I have got to fulfill my mission, my ministry, my love to tell everybody about the grace of God. I've been given that. I'll be gladly to do that. You'll never hear me talk bad about Jenny, ever. Um, if you do slap me, you're free to slap me. Um, well, not too hard, but a mild slap. I'm here to lift her up. I'm here to build her up. Um, and, and likewise, she's there to do that for me as well. Um, you'll never hear talk evil of me. Um, and that's a mild comparison to what we're supposed to be for Christ. And so here I am, married to Christ, a born-again believer, and I'm walking in this world. I've got one mission. It doesn't matter whether I'm in prison. It doesn't matter whether I'm wrongly accused. It doesn't matter if they're beating me. It doesn't matter if I'm at work or if I'm at my house. I am here to glorify Jesus and the gospel. That's what I do up here. I come here for that one reason. I mean, I love you guys, but I'm here to tell everybody about Jesus and his love for them and what he's done for them. And I hope, because I can't do anything about you, I hope that by hearing it from his word and not from my mouth, that you respond to that love, that you grow in him. And that's Paul's heart. And I don't get beat every day like Paul does at all. I don't have persecutions non-existent in my life. I haven't we just don't have that much in our country. And yet the more dangerous thing for me is complacency, um, being lax, eh, you know, eh. let that go, let this go. 
That's almost worse. I wish people were beating me. That almost remind me every day. Oh, you know, I need this. I haven't been beat today. No one's paying attention today. No one paid attention last week. Maybe it's not that big of a deal. That's that lulling to sleep. I think that's our biggest enemy right now in our country, being lulled into not being what Paul just said. I'm not moved away from the gospel. So he warns them of that. Verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith. In other words, you don't have to continue in the faith. If you indeed you stay grounded and steadfast and aren't moved away, which means you can be uprooted, which means you can move away from the gospel. He wouldn't teach that any other way or for any other reason. For the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister, which blows holes in all of those other doctrines that say once saved, always saved. Doesn't, we're not reading that here anyway. There are times when we find ourselves in Christ and He's got a hold of us and we don't have a hold of Him and that's wonderful to know that when someone tries to rip me from His hands, they can't. But if I try to move away from Christ, apparently I can. And that's why he teaches, and the Bible teaches, abiding faith throughout. This isn't the only place it says this here. In John 15, he teaches us abiding faith. He who abides in the vine. And we can, you can read that on your own. We don't have a lot of time. I guess we could read that. But Romans 11, the whole thing is about being grafted in as wild olive branches into the natural olive tree, which is Jerusalem and Israel. And so we were grafted in, but it doesn't mean we couldn't be grafted out. If they were cut off, it doesn't mean you couldn't be cut off. So, I mean, that's there. It's throughout. This, is, this permeates Scripture in several places. Be careful. Where do you stand with Christ? If you abide in Christ, you can be assured of your salvation. If you reject Christ and remove yourself from Christ, there's no assurance to be had. And so Paul tells them that. Don't move away. Just like he told the Galatians, Christ will profit you nothing if you move away from him. It's in him that we get conveyed into heaven. If I remove myself from the very vessel that takes me to heaven, what makes me think I'm going to get there? So be careful about that. Watch that. Not watch, have I thought about Christ today? This is where people get, I just want to be clear. I didn't think about Christ today. I don't think I prayed three times. Like I, and we come up with rules and regs that prove to ourselves that we're still Christians. The fact that you're thinking about Jesus and that you love him and that you're actually worried about your salvation tells me that you probably don't need to be worried about your salvation. Gosh, I hope I'm going to heaven because I really love Jesus. Mm, that's a good sign. <laughs> good. But when I come up with those rules, I, you know, we put those on ourselves. I'm going to read my Bible every single day. January 1st, here it goes. How are you doing with that? Those of you who may have said that. Hopefully you did. I hope you do. Maybe you're that kind of disciplined person. But you're not losing your salvation when you miss either. You may not do that well that day. Um, you may find yourself backsliding a little bit. Those are all real possibilities with losing your 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 quiet time with the Lord and not taking that time to pray and to seek the Lord and um, find him early in the morning or in the evening or whenever your time is with him. That's true. You, could, you might stumble, but the salvation isn't lost because the conviction you feel afterwards, like, oh, man, I missed my time. I missed my time. I don't want you to miss your time because the schedule says you missed your time. You want to miss your time because you missed time with him. Does that make sense? Oh, I missed my date with Jenny. Boy, she's going to be mad. No, no, no. I missed my date with Jenny because I didn't get to spend time with her, just one-on-one, -on -one, you know? That's the idea. Our quiet times need to be that. And so Paul says, be careful, and we need to be careful. And watch out the rules that you place on yourself to convince yourself that you're still a Christian. You're a Christian because you believe in Christ. He died on the cross for your sins. That's what makes you a Christian. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. That's a pretty bold statement. Christ didn't fulfill all the afflictions needed? What he's saying here as he goes on, for the sake of his body, which is the church. In other words, Christ's body, while he was here, fully God, fully man, was beat and crucified and whipped and pierced and nailed for our transgressions. We know that. But then he's, he's gone now. I mean, he's in heaven. But he now lives in us. And as Christians, as we walk in Him, as we're the body of Christ, we now get beat. Look at the persecuted church all over the world. 
they get beat, they get killed all day long. And that's all Paul's saying. We're fulfilling the afflictions of Christ. As the body of Christ moves through time and through this world, we get beat constantly. And that's what he's saying about himself. The afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister or servant, according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to the saints. And here it is. Here's the mystery that nobody's ever heard of before. Here it is. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. Christ in you. Not only are we in the vessel of Jesus Christ being conveyed into heaven, but he now lives in us. And that is the power by which we walk in obedience. I cannot walk in obedience without Christ in me. I cannot walk in obedience to God and to his, to his law without Christ. It's by the Spirit I now walk. It's, in, it's as I love Christ more. It's Christ in me and with me. That's it. The hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. It's the only thing Paul wanted to preach. It's the only thing he wanted to teach all men was Christ. That's how important it is. Not Christ and the law, not Christ and his spirit body, just Jesus. And when you preach Jesus, you have the fullness of the Godhead, you have complete salvation, you have a fulfillment of the law, you have your salvation in him. That's what they need to know. When we lead people to Christ, understand that you are leading them into the arms of their Savior and he has them now. That's the follow-up that you need right there. I don't know, we need to follow up with them. That was the problem with the Judaizers and the Gnostics. They would come in and say, have you had any follow-up since Paul's been here or since whoever led you to, to the Lord? Well, no, I haven't had any follow-up. I've just been enjoying my salvation. <laughs> well, hold on there. Let me take that joy from you for a minute. And let's get down to the nitty-gritty on what it means to be a disciple of Christ. you got to do this, and you got to do this, you got to do this. Wow, I thought I was just saved in Christ, but yeah, I can see what you're saying now. There's a whole lot more that I have to do. Be careful. When we lead someone to Christ, we are taking him, them, her, to a person, a Savior, a real God, a real Holy Spirit that will lead and guide them into all truth. Yes, if God wants to use us as a follow-up or as a helper in their discipleship of Jesus, great. By all means, share the word with them. Help them in their walk. But they're not obligated to you. They're not ours to own. Their walk is not dependent upon us. Their walk is with their Savior. I got saved. I got really, really saved in 1989, July, Okinawa, Japan. I got really saved. No follow-up. I just bumbled my way through reading his word and telling him I was just going to do whatever he wanted me to do. Just a dumb kid I'm going to do whatever you want me to do. I'm going to believe whatever I read out of your word. That's all I'm going to do. For a lot of people, two years later, so how did you get saved? They were really interested in how I got saved. Well, I got saved watching a video. A video. You know. <laughs> Poor this kid. What video? Jesus of Nazareth. It was three videos long. And yes, I know you can finish this story for me, but I got to tell it anyway. And on the third tape at uh, probably 3 o'clock in the morning, all the other guys were asleep, and I began to weep like a baby as they were nailing Christ to the cross. Oh, yeah. So you had an emotional experience. Shut up. That's all I wanted to tell them. And I did at that time. Because I was young, I didn't know that that's probably not what she should say to somebody as a Christian. Just shut up. Because I could feel it. I could feel they could care less about the joy that I had found, the freedom that I had found, the guilt that had been lifted off of my shoulders. They could care less about any of that walk with Jesus that I'd had, the beauty of the Holy Spirit, the, the peace that I had. They wanted to rip that away from me. I could feel that from them. Go away. Help people out in their walk with Jesus, but don't make them want you to go away because you're stealing their joy. And we can do that. 
they're coming along in the Lord as they're coming along. And maybe you'll be this person at this time to help them grow in the Lord a little bit. But we're not here to bring our checklist along as mature Christians and say, have you stopped cussing yet? <laughs> you haven't. Uh, drinking, smoking, chewing, going out with girls that do all of those things. You know, we're not called to that. We're called to help people when God calls us to help them, to step in and help them. And so Paul lets them know that. I'm here writing this letter to you because I want you to help you understand who Christ is. Now we have this letter. If you want to share this letter with people, by all means, it's Scripture. Share Scripture with people. The hope and glory, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Perfect? Our hope is to present people perfect in Christ Jesus. Do you know what Paul means by that? Not perfectly holy, because you are in Christ Jesus. You are perfect in Christ Jesus. I am perfect in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I just want to make sure you stay perfect. You were perfect in Christ Jesus the first day you got saved. I want you to die perfect in Christ Jesus. Because Gnosticism and Judaism will take that away from you. That perfection gets messed up. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. That's where we close tonight. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul's passion. Obviously, it's your passion. You filled him with your Holy Spirit. You put it on his heart to write this letter, but you made it accurate. You're the one that made it your heart. You're the one that wanted to convey to people how you feel and the dangers that they were running into and to warn them like a good shepherd. So God, help us to heed your warning. Thank you for our salvation that's never been more complete than the day we asked you to be our Lord and Savior, the day we received your reconciliation. God, if there's anyone here this, this evening that has never done that, never understood the simplicity of the gospel, that truly they can be saved by believing on your son, Jesus Christ, and his death on the cross, that they can be saved. They can be born again from this day forward. Lord, I pray that they would receive you as their Lord and Savior today. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you for completing our salvation at the cross. Thank you for fulfilling the law completely. And in you, we have fulfilled the law. We thank you for that, God. And now as we love you and grow closer to you and are conformed into your image, we do pray for holiness. But we know holiness doesn't come from us working harder at it, but from knowing you better, knowing you more, being closer to you. We want to be conformed. We don't want to be pretenders. We truly want to look like you. So Lord, give us all that, please. As Paul prayed for these folks here to have all that, we pray the same thing for ourselves, God, please. Let us have this wisdom. Let us have this understanding, Lord. Let us have spiritual understanding, Lord, so that we can walk worthy. Lord, bless these guys as they go tonight. And uh, I pray that you'd give us lots of opportunities this week for every one of us to share this gospel with somebody, anybody. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a good night, guys.